I hate to tell you this, but my lesson doesn't take you into the promised land. So <laughs> last night they did the same thing, this big buildup on we're getting into the promised land, and then I come and go, I'm speaking on the golden calf. <laughs> so, well, last night after I spoke, uh, at least two or three people mentioned to me that I had not told one story about my great niece or my great nephew. So I need to rectify that. So <laughs> I recently, uh, I had a birthday on uh, Good Friday, and um, my sister, I didn't go up north, and they didn't come down, so they decided that we would meet in the middle. Well, in the middle is 185 miles at Kettleman City, because they come down 180, and we went up, met for lunch on a Wednesday. Very poor choice of a day, because coming back home was awful, but, but we got up there, and we had lunch, and the little kids were there, and we had a lot of fun, and then we walked out to leave, and they had brought me, they bought me a new tree for my birthday, for my by my pond, and so I put it in the car, and I was hugging them, and picked up the little three-year-old, and told her bye-bye, and she had to get in her car seat, and her mom said, come on, Kylie, we got to go, and she says, no, 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 I want to go to auntie's birthday party, and I said, well, sweetheart, that was my birthday party, and she goes, no, we didn't have balloons, we didn't have cake, (laughs) so, (laughs) so her expectations were different than the adults, so. There's my residence story. So, um, We're going to uh, go back a ways. We're, we're at Mount Sinai. And it's been three months since the crossing of the Red Sea. The Israelites had lived through the plagues, got to the Red Sea. It parted. They walked across. They had the water, the bitter water, already turned to where they could drink it. They had the miracle of the manna and the quail. And the elders had met with God himself, 70 elders, Aaron, his two sons, Moses, and Joshua, actually ate with God. They could see the bottom of the ground where God's feet were on. They ate in the presence of God, and God delivered to them um, rules. They had seen his manifest presence. They watched Moses walk up the mountain, disappear into the cloud. And, and after he disappeared, it said that the mountain glowed with the presence of God. They were witnessing all that. So the next story is kind of um, unimaginable, or at least a surprise. When Moses didn't come down right away, he was gone for 40 days. The people got a little antsy. They were like, um, what's going on here? And the only leader they knew had vanished. So what did they do? They decided to fix the problem themselves. I don't really want to get that far ahead of my story, so we're going to back up a little bit. When God met with Moses and all those other people, like I said, he gave them rules to live by. He knew that they had been slaves. They didn't know how to govern themselves. They didn't know how to treat each other. They had always done exactly what the Egyptians told them to do. So he gave them laws, the Ten Commandments, but he also gave them moral laws. He told them how to treat each other. He even told them how to treat their animals. He told them what to do to be healthy. He gave them all kinds of rules. And when they had heard them and when he had given them to them, he said, do you agree with these? And they said, yes, we do. And they entered into a covenant with God. They agreed. And the very first thing that God said when he talked to them is found in Exodus 21 to 5. It says, then God gave the people these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any God but me. 
You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. God knew that they had come out of a pagan, idol-worshiping society, and he wanted them to know that they needed to come out of it. They needed to leave it behind. He goes on at the end of five with the consequences. He said, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. You know, many times our sins, almost always, our sins affect other people. They leave marks on our family, on our friends, on our businesses. Our sins cost a lot of people. They cause breakups in family. They call children to spin off. They, they break up whole generations worth of, of righteous living. Sins affect people, not just the people making them. They agreed to this, and it was very clearly stated so here we are 40 days later, and what happens? Exodus 32.1 tells us, it says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt. It's only been 40 days. Talk about short-term memory. So why? Why do you think they did that? They lacked patience. And they decided to fix the problem themselves. There are two points that come to mind. They have absolutely no regard for Moses. I mean, really, he had followed God's direction. He had, he had left where he was living, gone back to Egypt, um, had appeared before Pharaoh. He didn't want to. He told God he was slow in speech, and they sent him Aaron to help him. They had, they had carried off the plagues. They had got the people to the Red Sea. They'd listened to him gripe the entire way. The Red Sea parted. He had gone before God and gotten them manna when they were hungry and quail because they weren't satisfied. They wanted their meat. It had been Moses each step of the way that had set them up on how they were to, to how the tribes were to settle and all this. Moses had been their leader. And what do they do? They say, this fellow Moses, like, like they didn't even know him. Great appreciation for leadership, I thought. That was really good. All the problems he'd put up with because of them, and they had no regard. They didn't say, we're really worried about Moses. They said, we don't know what happened to him, so, you know, help us. The second, I really thought was worse. They hadn't learned a thing about God. God had taken them through all those things. God had provided for them. God had put up with them, and yet they were willing to walk away from God. They were willing to make their own God. God had clearly stated that they weren't to worship idols. Nothing could possibly justify worshiping an idol, but worse than that, they actually built their own. You have to really stand back and then look at them and say, what were they thinking? What were they doing? To make a bad situation even worse, we have Aaron. He had, already, he had already been told that he and his sons would be priests. They already had the designs for their robes. 
They already knew that they were going to be in charge of the tabernacle. And yet when the people came to Aaron and said, make us an idol, he said, okay. I mean, he'd been with Moses the whole time. (laughs) He'd been with Moses the whole entire time. And yet he just said, okay. So the people came and told him that they wanted an idol. And Aaron said in Exodus 32, 2 to 5, he says, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. All of the people took the gold rings from their ears, brought them to Aaron. Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited they were, so he built an altar in front of the calf, and he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. And I I thought that, (laughs) I just couldn't even figure Aaron out. So while I was studying this, I noticed something, and um, it interested me, so I'm going to tell you. I'm not sure it'll interest you, but tomorrow we'll build a festival to the Lord. Lord is capitalized in every translation I looked it up in, which means Aaron was saying they were building a festival to God. But when the people used the term God, it was lowercase, so they weren't referring to God Almighty. So a lot of commentators have it both ways, that Aaron might have thought that even though it was an idol that God told him not to worship, that they would be worshiping God. He was standing in for God. But the people didn't. Some commentators, they kind of argued it back and forth. And I thought it was interesting to research it. But in the long run, it didn't really matter because they were doing something they had no business doing. No business at all. The people saw the calf, and they didn't use the word God. They used the lowercase. But, you know, I I read this book, Gods at War, and it's by Kyle Eidelman. Good book. And he says, when we hear God say, you will have no gods before me, we think of it as a hierarchy, God in first place. But there really are no other places. God isn't interested in competing against others or being first among many. God will not be part of any hierarchy. He wasn't saying before me as in ahead of me. Kyle Eidelman goes on to say, a better understanding of the Hebrew word translated before me is in my presence. So that way it says, you will have no other gods in my presence. And God is omnipresent. So he's saying, you're not going to have any other gods. That's his heart. He's all we need. And that's what he's saying. God is not the head of an organization like a CEO. God is the entire organization. He's it. So they built the idol, and Aaron saw how happy they were, so he decided they should have a feast day to worship said idol. And the feast turned into a drunken party. And you know what? God was mad. There's no other way to put it. You can't say God was unhappy. God was mad. Exodus 32, 8 to 10, tells us that God was ready to get rid of all of them and start over with just Moses. It says that he told Moses to let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. I mean, he was beyond angry. Hebrews 10.31 tells us it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
we really don't want God mad at us. Moses pleaded with God. Moses reasoned with an angry God to spare the people. And God did. I think this is one of the best illustrations of intercession and mercy that I'd read. God was mad. He was willing to go wipe them all off. And Moses said, don't do that. What will the Egyptians think if you brought them out here and killed them? Don't do that. It won't look good. And if you go so far as to to do that, then take my name off too. Moses interceded for him. And God said, okay, we'll spare them. God was merciful. So Moses goes down the mountain with the stones written by God. When he sees the people dancing before the idol in Exodus 32, 19 and 21, this is what it says. It says, they, they came near the camp. Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. And he threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it, and he ground it into powder, and he threw it into the water, and he forced the people to drink. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) so Moses was also just a little put out. So (laughs) he broke the tablets that God had written because he could not believe what he was witnessing, that the people had done exactly what God told them not to do. And then he goes on to say, he finally turns to Aaron and he says, what did these people do to you to make you bring such a terrible sin upon them? And what does Aaron say? He says, don't get so upset, my Lord. You know how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. They brought it to me, and I simply threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Sounds like one of your kids making a good excuse, huh? I didn't really mean to do that. I just, you know... Aaron absolutely assumed no responsibility. He didn't stand up and say, I didn't know what to do. And what he could have done was actually say, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We're going to wait. Because even if something happened to Moses, we know that God is with us. So I'll go ask God. I mean, I'll pray. He didn't do any of that. He had just instantly caved in. And now he's instantly saying, it wasn't my fault. I just did this. And I wondered after I read that, that if Aaron had been a good, strong, godly leader, that perhaps part of the history of Israel would have been different. If he had stopped that idle thing in the bud, maybe they wouldn't have suffered their entire life going back to worshiping idols. They struggled with it. Just before Joshua's death, he once again cautioned the nation in Joshua twenty four fourteen to 15, he says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods of your fathers that served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua stood up and he said, you guys get to make your own choice, but I'm choosing for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. The people responded with the right words. They said they would not serve the other gods because their God had delivered them from Egypt. And he had walked them through the wilderness 
and he'd brought them to the land he had promised. They said exactly the right words. But you know, it only turned out to be words because they didn't follow through. Israel struggled with idol worship their entire history. Throughout the Old Testament, we read the word idol. I I went ahead and looked up how many times. And it's in the New King James Version, there are 173 times the word idol is used. And if you add the word idolatry in, it brings it up to 225. Over and over, they were told not to worship idols. Over and over, they did it anyway. It's easy to produce the right platitudes. You might actually mean it at the time, but let's face it, it's a lot harder living out the truth. This is a good time to kind of move over to us and how all this applies to our life. And you're probably saying, I I don't actually own an idol. I, I don't have anything that represents anything. I don't put food in the corner for my little God I don't have anything on my walls that could be an idol. I don't, I don't bow down and worship anything. So I don't see how this applies to me. Sure, Israel really messed up. They messed up a lot. But you know what? Their lack of patience and trust in God led them into sin. Almost got them annihilated. Have you ever been in a situation where you lack patience and it caused you to sin? Have you ever gotten ahead of God? Have you ever not waited for him? Have you ever decided to fix it yourself? And what you fix it with is a cheap imitation of what he would have done. Also in the book, God's at War, it says, idolatry isn't just one of the many sins. It's rather the one great sin that all others come out of. Kyle Eidelman goes on to say, explain in essence, if you look hard enough at your struggle, at what you struggle with, eventually you will find the underlying cause is a false god. Not an idol that you can see, but something or someone that has taken God's rightful place in your life. Only when you recognize and dethrone that God will you have victory in your life. Idolatry isn't an issue, it is the issue. Our idols are not so easily identified. In the right position, they're not even wrong. God is not against pleasure. He's not against sex or money or power or possessions. These things are not immoral. They are rather amoral. Mr. Eidelman goes on to say they are neutral until they are not. They are harmless until they are not. They become a problem the instant they take the place of God. The moment they become an end in itself rather than something to lay at God's feet. At that moment, Whatever it is has become an idol, and you now have your own golden calf. And you have to ask yourself, what have I let get ahead of my devotion to God? So here's the challenge for many of us. The problem isn't that we need to choose to follow Jesus. The problem is that we're trying to follow him without leaving everything else behind. We're trying to follow him without dropping off the one thing that matters so much to us that we think we can't live without, that we worry about. Psalms 86.8 says, Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare to yours. I mean, God should be everything we need. Psalms 106.36 says, They worship their idols, 
which led to their downfall. Jeremiah 2.11, has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. And Romans 1.25 speaks of choosing a lie leading to sin over God's truth. Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever? You know, the same applies to us. Putting anything before God will definitely mess up our walk with the Lord. And it will lead to an unsuccessful life. You cannot be victorious if God is not first place in your life. You're always going to stumble over whatever it is. You're always going to trip and fall. Because if something consumes your time and your efforts and it's not for the Lord, then it's going to become a stumbling block. I have a really short story to tell. It's um, some friends of some friends of mine, but I've, I've heard this story firsthand. But it happened a few years ago, and they lived in Northern California, and they had a small business, a small run, and they, um, they were very involved in their church. They were involved in the youth group. They just really loved the Lord and served him, and the Lord blessed their business. It was a little pizza place, and they were closed on Sundays. And so he really blessed it, and they had money, and they tithed, and they gave, and they became successful, and... Um, they opened another one, and it was successful, and they decided he'd always wanted to large, own a large boat that you had to leave at the marina, and they bought one, and then they had to miss every once in a while on Sunday because of the boat, and they started staying open on Sundays because they made more money, and they went to Cancun on vacation, and they really liked it down there, so they bought a condo, and then pretty soon they were spending one week out every month at their condo. And um, then they were missing a couple Sundays, and then there was the boat, until pretty soon they weren't really going to church very much, and they kind of weren't tithing because they needed the money, and um, their businesses started to fail. And at the end, I won't go through the whole story, but at the end, they had lost their businesses, they sold the boat, they sold the condo, their marriage split up. They eventually got back together with their marriage, but they said it was all because they had quit what they were doing that made them successful, and that was serving God. Because when we get our focus off, you say, well, I'm not going to do that. But you know, when something else is important, and it isn't something we can give to God, then it's going to mess us up. You know, success is not a sin. Money is not in itself evil. Happiness is not bad. Pleasure is a blessing from God. And power can be used for good. But when these things get out of control in our lives, when success becomes our source of significance, when money becomes what we dwell on and what we spend our time and attention on, when we forget that God supplies our needs, when we no longer look to God for our joy but turn to others to provide our happiness, when our desire for pleasure turns to lust, to destructive behaviors, when power is used against others, when these things happen, we have lost our first love. We no longer look to God for his promises, his truth. We have taken control of our lives, and that never, ever turns out good for Christians. And there's a lot more things that can come before God, but they fall into those general categories. What is more important to you? 
And so I'm going to challenge you to um, do a life check. <laughs> Look at your life. Take an inventory. Better yet, ask the Holy Spirit to do it for you. Because I have found that he's not very shy when, he, when you give him permission to look at your life and tell you and then listen to him. Because just like Joshua told the Israelites all those years ago before he died, choose this day whom you will serve. It's our choice. Everything in our life is our choice. It's not one of those things, well, I had to. You get to choose. You get to choose if you come to church. You get to choose if you stay home. You get to choose what you watch on TV, what you read, what you put into your mind. You get to choose what you dwell on. And you get to choose how closely you walk to the Lord. It's all your choice. And while I was studying this, this really old song came to mind. And I know it's really old because it was written before I was born. So... (laughs) So um, I'm going to read it. It's called I'd Rather Have Jesus. And um, I'm just going to read a couple of the verses in the course. It says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather be his than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses and land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be a king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything the world affords today. And that ought to be our prayer, that God is enough. And if that's our goal, to have Jesus above everything else, we won't have to worry. We can keep all those other things that God gave us in their proper place, and then they're good. And they're his blessings. And we remember that the blessing came from him. And we quit worshiping the blessing. And we worship the God, the God who gave it to us. So go home and, and do that. Ask God. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there's anything in your life. And we have a prayer focus. And, from, and it's up here. So, um, so go ahead and do that in your group. And God bless you. <laughs>